good to be able to come and, and join you in worshiping Jesus together, and um, great to be able to come and uh, share some thoughts on this book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, thanks, me and Tristan were friends, and then he asked me to come and preach on Ecclesiastes. Up until this moment, he thought we were still friends. I do actually feel quite comfortable in, a, in, in Ecclesiastes. It's part of my uh, psychological makeup, I think. Um, we'll come on to that in a moment. Um, I suppose if you say, my calves are killing me, it can mean something very different depending on whether you're standing in the gym or in the farmyard. Let that sink in. I got that from a pastor called Steve Timmis. It's not my own. The reason why I say that is, that is that context is very important in life, isn't it? Wherever you go in life, really, context is very important. The exact same words can, meet, can be completely changed in their meaning depending on who's saying it and where they are when they say it, depending on who's listening and where they are when they, when they hear it. A few days ago, Tristan sent me a message reminding me about my visit this morning. Um, must have had some idea that I'm forgetful or something. Um, and part of the message that he sent, very kind and reassuring message, uh, was that I could wear whatever I felt comfortable in. <laughs> to which I replied with a picture of some large gentleman wearing speedos. <laughs> something like that. And speedos is another example of this important point that we need to make whenever we come to the Bible. Um, not get your speedos on. Um, but there, there are, there are uh, speedos, while, while always unpleasant on larger gentlemen, um, are, are, um, are socially acceptable in some contexts, aren't they? But very, very, very socially unacceptable in most circumstances, in most contexts. If you need proof that they are sometimes socially acceptable, you can go to the men-only men swimming session at Berry Leisure Center on uh, this Thursday morning, and you will see lots of large gentlemen just in their speedos, and nobody mind, nobody's called the police, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, context, context, context. Um, we, have to do, we have to have the same thoughts in mind uh, whenever we come to read the Bible. What's the context of what's being said here? So, for example, what kind of literature are we reading? What kind of writing is this? Who wrote it, and why did they write it? And what's the point of what they're trying to say? And when we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it's important to know the context because we're reading something that's quite unusual for our understanding, the ancient Middle Eastern wisdom literature, which comes across in poems and pictures and stories. Ancient wisdom is not the stuff of the instruction manual or the self-help book that we might be able to get down at the bookshop um, today. The ancient wisdom was put across in poetry and art, and it was the sharing of the heart as well as the sharing of the head. In ancient days in, 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 in the Middle East, the heart and the head always went together. There wasn't the separation that we have nowadays. And so Ecclesiastes comes, and the writer of Ecclesiastes gives this heart-wrenching view of life, doesn't he? And he's trying to express what it is like to live in the world today. 
And as I said, I feel quite at home in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I guess underneath it all, I'm quite a melancholic kind of chap. And added to that, I grew up listening to Bob Dylan with, with my mother's milk. And so I love, I love those kind of songs. I've grown up loving those kind of songs that, and those kind of poems like Ecclesiastes that reach into the apparent desperation of the human condition, that, that, that shine a mirror on my own heart and say, this is, this is how you feel, isn't it? Songs that are not pretending that everything is okay when it's not. It's an important part of our faith. It's an important part of our witness to be able to acknowledge, isn't it? No, things are not all, not everything's okay. It's an important part of the message that God gives to the world. No, not everything's okay. Something's gone wrong. This is what it looks like to live in a world that has gone wrong. One of the reasons why Bob Dylan is so effective in his lyrics and his words and the pictures that he paints is because he's so close to biblical truth. So close to biblical truth. So close to this book of Ecclesiastes. Let me um, share some bittersweet realism with you from Bob Dylan. Are you ready? Some of you are smiling. Shadows are falling. I've been here all day. It's too hot to sleep. Time is running away. Feel like my soul has turned into steel. I've still got scars that the sun didn't heal. There's not even room enough to be anywhere. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. I love it. I love it because there's something in my heart that says, yeah, wow, that's telling me something I already know. Are you glad you came this morning? I'll continue. Bob goes on to say, well, my sense of humanity has gone down the drain. Behind everything beautiful, every, behind every beautiful thing, there's some kind of pain. She wrote me a letter and she wrote it so kind, she put down in writing what was on her mind. I just don't see why I should even care. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. There's more. I don't know if I'll... Do you want more? Yeah. Okay. There's two more verses of this. He says, I've been to London and I've been to Gay Paris. I've followed the river and I've got to the sea. Uh, I've, been down, I've been down on the bottom of a world full of lies. Well, I ain't looking for nothing in anyone's eyes. Sometimes my burden seems more than I can bear. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Have you ever been in that situation? I feel like I'm at the bottom of a world full of lies when someone betrays you, someone lets you down, and it's pushed you to the bottom. And it's confusing, and it's dark, and it's getting darker. Too dark to see, he says in another song. I was born here, and I'll die here against my will. I know it looks like I'm moving, but I'm standing still. Every nerve in my body is so vacant and numb, I can't even remember why I came here to get away from. I don't even hear a murmur of prayer. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And there are times when we've all been there, 
Amen. And this is a song like Ecclesiastes that faces the reality of life in a broken and heartbreaking world where life is not as it should be. And I love songs like that and I love theology like that because they're honest. So I'm quite comfortable in this world of Koheleth and his Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're presented with the voice of the cynic and the voice of the critic. And there is some wisdom in those voices. The voice of the depressed prophet of doom. And when we hear his voice, we hear these words that strike a chord with the struggle and the confusion and frustration of life as we know it. I'm sure you've already noted in your studies that there's this word that's translated meaningless in the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless. It's all meaningless or vanity. And that repeats over and over again. And and as I've noticed the title of your series in Ecclesiastes, it's this probably best understood that it's this word vapor, steam, fog, confusion. Can't see a way forward. It's getting dark, too dark to see. Something comes in that confuses the issue and muddies the water. There's no clarity. And I'm really grateful that God didn't give us a book that just comes off sounding like a Disney movie. Because Disney movies don't help in the end, really, do they? They don't get us very far. I'm glad that God is honest about how life feels. That He allows, indeed, He encourages us to voice our complaints. Aren't you grateful that when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we have a God who listens carefully and who watches closely how life is and then He helps us to articulate our struggle? That's one of the reasons for the book of Ecclesiastes. And when I'm reading the book of Ecclesiastes, the Lord is whispering to me as I read the book, it's okay, you can say it. It's okay, you can say, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be offended. I know what it's like. It's okay, tell me how you feel. And when the pressure and confusion and burden of life is sometimes too much to articulate, doesn't he even say, let me see if I can help you? Isn't it a bit like this? All streams flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. Never seem to be getting anywhere. Round and round we go. The sun rises and the sun sets. And then before you know it, it's up again. And time is just marching on and there's nothing that, I can, that you can do about it. And there is so much that is, that is out of control. And so, like, and so the Lord, like a good counselor, the good counselor he is, draws me out as I read the book of Ecclesiastes and he assures me, you can say these kind of things. Why don't you put it out there? It's okay to share my frustration and my confusion and my inability to see good things. It's okay to share them with Him. Helps my prayer life. And I hope it's been helping yours as you've been going through it. And there are three main problems that the cynic, the critic, identifies in Ecclesiastes. And he kind of just goes round and round with these complaints, doesn't he, over and over again. And he he mixes them all up and it's quite a confusing picture, deliberately confusing picture. But three things that he complains about. The first one is the relentless march of time. There's nothing you can do about it. One day is going to follow another. Time's going to pile upon time. You're going to be brought to a destination and there's nothing that you can do about it. You can't get off this train. 
And then there's the inevitability of death. We're going to see the relentless march of time when we read Ecclesiastes chapter 8 in a moment. And we're going to see also that a second problem and frustration for the critic is the inevitability of death. We'll read that in a moment too. And then thirdly, the randomness and the unpredictability of life. They're all there in Ecclesiastes over and over again. And so let's read. And I want you to look look carefully at the verses because it's going to be over to you in a moment to show me where it is in the chapter that we've read. So read carefully and look out for the relentless march of time, the inevitability of death and the randomness of life and the unpredictability of chance. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God and who are reverent before Him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Wow. So, tell me, where does he he touch there on the relentless march of time? What does he say? Um, What verse is it? Someone shout it out. Verse 7, yeah. No one knows the future. Who can tell someone else what is to come? 
It's just coming, isn't it? It's just coming. Whatever it is comes. There's nothing you can do about it. Time just passes time. Verse 5 as well. Better check this out. Yeah, the wise will know the proper time and procedure. That's right. Thank you. What about the inevitability of death? Verse 8, he talks about the inevitability of death, doesn't he? Just as no one has power over the winds, so no one has power over the time of their death. It's coming. And what about the randomness of life? A bit further on, a bit further down. Verse 14. The righteous get what the wicked deserve. And the wicked get what the righteous deserve. I mean, what is that? How can you possibly make a way forward when we know that the wicked can thrive in this world despite their wickedness and the righteous can suffer despite their righteousness? All makes you want to say, what's the point, doesn't it? With all this confusion around, with all this futility, with all this vapor and fog that confuses the issue, confuses my life, why would I keep going? I can't grasp what to do and I can't see what is good and I don't know where to look. And so there are three things that that have been given in this chapter, I think, to try and help us through the fog. In Ecclesiastes, you've got kind of two voices going on. You've got the the critic and you've got the, the author. You've got the critic who's saying, look at this, it's rubbish, it's terrible. As uh, Tristan said, I'm, a, I'm an avid Manchester City fan. And also Radcliffe Borough. And uh, having grown up watching Manchester City, well, we were really, really poor at one point, weren't we? We were just dropping like a stone. And I lived through that, I grew up through that. As maybe that's part of the reason why I love depression. Um, I don't love, not, not real depression. Um... And watching your team getting beaten 4-0 at home by Wickham Wanderers and things like that. And 25,000 of us gathered round watching abject misery unfold in front of us. And still managing to sing some songs and make some jokes and things like that. Things were much simpler back then, by the way. Um, And then we started to get successful and now we're the best team in the land and all the world. And everybody knows that, don't they? But sometimes you can be standing there at the football match, you're watching the best football Manchester has ever seen, and um, there are people complaining, people shouting, people getting cross, watching the best footballers the world has ever seen, playing amazing football, and people are still complaining and still moaning, they're still the critic, they're still the complainer. But then alongside the voice of the complainer in Ecclesiastes is the author who's giving wisdom, who's saying, yeah, I know it's, I know it's, not, I know it's not great, there's something in this, this criticism, there's something in this cynicism, but there's a way forward, there's a way through the fog. Let me take you by the hand. And there's three pieces of wisdom uh, this morning that we can see in these verses. In order to make a way through the fog and the confusion of life, the first thing is do the right thing. Whatever's going on around you, do the right thing. Whatever the fog is, whatever the vapor is, do the right thing in verses 1 to 6. He tells us that. Obey the king's command because you took an oath before God. 
Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. One of the ways of responding to the fog and the confusion of life that's quite common nowadays, that's quite popular, maybe Bob Dylan was one of the people that started it all off in the cultural revolution that went on back in those days, 50 or so years ago. One of the ways of dealing with the kind of confusion of life is to say, well, to hell with it then. I'll do whatever I want. What's the point of doing the right thing? And again, Ecclesiastes says this, what's the point of doing the right thing when there's no guarantee that good results will come for me? Or as uh, Kurt Cobain later said, oh well, whatever, never mind. I might as well do what I want. What's the point of following the rules if following the rules might not benefit me? So let's just say there should be no rules, anarchy rules. We do what we want. The law is an ass. I'll please myself. But the wisdom offered here to those of us uh, in the fog trying to feel our way through, the wisdom that tries to take our hand on one side is to say, that doesn't help. By the way, that doesn't help. It's still better to pursue order. It's still better to try and do the right thing even when the results might not be exactly what we want. Is put across here as obedience to the king. That's what would have been understood back then. For us, we can understand it as doing the right thing, which does include obedience to the king. Generally speaking, life is better when we follow the rules of society. It's not perfect, but it's more peaceful. I can still remember getting my first car. I don't think there's anyone in the room here who remembers that. That's good. Um, I was afraid there might have been one or two. Someone very kindly gave me a Fiesta, sporty Fiesta. Just gave it to me. Wasn't as quite as fast as a Fiesta XR2. I remember them, but it looked like it was a Fiesta XR2, and so I had to decide. I decided I had to prove, in the way that I drove it, that it was indeed a Fiesta XR2. Very, very fast little red hot hatch. What better combination around the streets of Bury than a 19-year-old petrol head with a red hot hatch? And my second car was a real Fiesta XR2, and, and I've had a few, to be honest, since then. And so I used to love booting it down the road, proving how fast I was to everyone. Riding with my brother, foot to the floor, all the way to Blackpool in the summer holidays to see if we could do it in half an hour. Steaming over to Leeds for a 3 p.m. kickoff at Ellen Road with six friends squeezed in the back and... Um, one, in the, one in the boot, all singing Blue Moon at 100 miles an hour. It was terrible. But it turns out that that's quite a stressful way to get around. Saying the law is an ass and I don't care and I'll do what I want actually is quite a stressful, stressful way to go through life. I mean, what if the police are nearby? And what about all these speed cameras that start popping up all over the place? And eventually I realized if I decided to drive at the speed limit, all my stress was gone. No more worry about getting caught. No more worry about the battle against the law. And I think that's kind of what these verses are getting at, isn't it? There's a general peace available to those who are intent on living in line with the law of the land. And in obedience to the king. And doing what you know is right. 
There's a general peace that comes with that. There's a general peace that comes to those who are content to know the time and the place, who are committed to doing the right thing at the right time. That's what the writer is saying here. I think this is a word in season for our culture, by the way, where we seem to be enshrining the idea that the, indiv- the radical individual, the radical self, who does what they want, regardless of what everybody else says, or the parameters that have been preset for them. There seems to be a kicking against the idea that there is reality, there is the way things are. And it's a damaging way to approach life, to say, it doesn't matter, do what you want, be who you want. Actually, the wisdom that comes here is there's a peace in being content in who you have been made to be. There's a peace in being content with the way things are around you and trying to do the right thing with life as it is. Peace can be found in living in accordance with the order of things. And then the second piece of wisdom that comes and takes hold of our hand as we try and make our way through the fog is is to enjoy the good things that you have. Verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their turmoil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. This is another good guide through the fog of life. When the fog is thick and the confusion surrounds and the the pain pushes in. Enjoy the good things you have and you you will find a way through. Keep it simple. Remain humble. Notice the good things that God has put in front of you today and enjoy them with gratitude in your heart. Bob Dylan, in the song that we quoted earlier, he said, with every beautiful thing, there is pain. But actually, that's just a a matter of perspective, isn't it? Because it's true the other way around. With every pain, there is beauty. Ecclesiastes comes with those two perspectives, doesn't it? You can say if you want, with every beautiful thing, there's pain, so what's the point? Or you can say, with every painful thing, situation, there's beauty to be found. There's treasure to be discovered. I suppose the writer of Ecclesiastes wants to remind us to be looking the right way and to be looking for the right things. And so enjoy the good things that you have today. Enjoy the good things that have been put in front of you. If your mind is always on what is not, in what is lacking, in what you don't have, in what you feel that you need but hasn't been given to you, then, yeah, life can be pretty foggy, pretty frustrating, pretty confusing. But when we decide to look at what God has put in our hands, the good things, then maybe we begin to get some clarity. And maybe we begin to be able to live life in a difficult world. It was Jesus who reminded us of that, wasn't it, when he said, do not worry about tomorrow. Focus on today who tells us that we're special in God's sight and and, and consider the lilies of the field, how well he clothes them, how much more so will he look after you, his children? To be able to look and say, no, it's not in my hands, but I know the one whose hands it's in. And I trust him. Look at this good thing he's given me. Thank you.
Paul says it to Timothy. God's given us every good thing to enjoy and that godliness with contentment is great gain. To do the right thing and to be content with what God has given me today is a way through the fog. So two things so far. Do the right thing and enjoy your blessings. And then thirdly, as we begin to draw to a close, this is a little bit more obscure. You've got to look carefully, but it's certainly there. The third way to make your way through a difficult life is to accept the invitation that is given in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a repeated invitation in the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe you've already contemplated that. But the invitation is there in these verses. I don't know if anybody's seen it. You get a special prize if if you can see the invitation. It's inferred. It's not explicit. But it runs all the way through Ecclesiastes. It's an invitation hidden in plain sight in these verses and all the way through Ecclesiastes. It's another repeated phrase. And it's usually repeated along with the word meaningless or vanity or fog, mist, confusion. It's that phrase there in verse 17 at the end, under the sun. Because what the critic is criticizing and what the cynic has had enough of is stuff that goes on under the sun in our existence, in our immediate existence, in in time and space in the stuff that we see and feel with our senses. There is all this stuff that brings confusion and doubt and weariness. All of this is like smoke getting in your eyes and disorientating you, like fog surrounding you and making you lose your bearings. But the the hidden invitation is there in that phrase, under the sun. This is all happening under the sun. In other words, it's limited. There's a limit to it. I mean, the limit is huge. We can't get to the end of the limit of it on our own. We can't defy gravity. We can't stop time. We can't arrest death. But the more you read through this book, the more your heart begins to ask and consider or long for that which is beyond the sun. To reach out for that which is transcendent of all of this. We're being invited to look up and to look out and to reach for that which is beyond all of this. And it's definitely there. That's what Ecclesiastes wants us to know. Ecclesiastes comes to us with this yes and approach. Yes, it is like that. And there is more. There is something else. When we're trapped with the relentless march of time and space when we're trapped by the inevitability of death and the problem of random evil happening to good people. Our heart says, starts to say as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, so what's above the sun? And the truth is the one who made time and space, the one who holds time in his hand, the one who has the death of, holds the keys of death, says, look up, there's something beyond the fog. You ever been in that situation where you've, it's been a foggy day and then you, you go on a walk up a mountain maybe and you get above and you see actually wherever you go in the world, there is blue sky and sunshine. 
It's great to take off the Manchester airport, isn't it, where it's usually gray and, gray and gloomy, and then in the end, you pierce through the cloud, and you look out the window, and there it is again, the blue sky and the sunshine. It's always with us, just sometimes shrouded. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is, is pointing us to, to consider what he has done, the one who stands above time and space, the one who is transcendent of all of this, that at the right time, he too entered into our confusion and our foggy existence. He came in. And he came and stood alongside us, taking on human flesh to exist in this painful creation. And if there's one human being who feels the angst of the book of, Rev book of Ecclesiastes more than any other, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He feels it more than we ever will. He felt it more than we ever will. And so he comes alongside us and says, we have a God, isn't it good that we have a God who comes alongside us and says in every pain, I know how you feel. I felt it too. To feel the, I felt the pain of loss and betrayal and rejection. I know, what, I know what it was to be subject to the relentless march of time as the children are considering, I think, uh, this morning. Father, I don't want to do it, but the time's coming. The hours are ticking by. My time has come. Someone who felt the relentless march of time, who knew the confusion, the human confusion of doing good, but being attacked and persecuted for it, of facing evil in the face of doing good. And then finally to take his place in the queue with the rest of us to face death. And Ecclesiastes says, consider the God who transcends all of this, who exists beyond the sun, but who voluntarily entered in to take up our cross upon his shoulders. And consider the God who having gone down to the inevitability of death, down to the very bottom of existence, at the bottom surrounded by lies. rose again to new life, defeated it all, blew away the fog. Hear his invitation this morning through the fog. Hear his call. I love that picture that Tristan painted for us as we started, the idea of drawing the curtains back, that the light was already pressing into the room and you just had to open the curtains. And it's what the gospel does for us, isn't it? It brings us the light. It brings us an end to the confusion. It promises an end to the confusion. Turn to the one who has overcome this confusing world and the worst that it can throw at us. Because, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, he did it for you. And if I was the only, this is the, this is the good news, isn't it? That if you, you or I were the only one who felt the pain of life, who knew what it was to be frustrated and confused even by my own sin, he would have come and dived in and stood alongside me and took it for me and defeated it for me. And he would have done the same for you. Have you heard that invitation from above the sun? Have you heard that invitation whispered into your ear, into your heart? 
as the God of creation stands alongside you and says, I know how you feel. I've overcome it. Follow me. And one day, he's coming back, isn't he? One day he's coming back. And the promise of Ecclesiastes and the invitation of Ecclesiastes is keep looking for him. Keep living in a way that says the king has come and the king is here and the king is coming back. So let's pray as we draw to a close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. We thank you that no matter where we go in the Bible, we find you. Sometimes it's standing in front of us, very obviously. Sometimes it's hidden in plain sight. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give each and every one of us this morning that ability to see that which is transcendent, the God who has entered in the God who has overcome, and the God who one day will come and make things new and remove the fog and the mist and the confusion and the frustration of life, where you will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away because he is making everything new. Help us to be agents of that new creation because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.